What's up, everyone? This is Res Ball here today with my guy, Piston Mike. Go follow him at Piston underscore Mike on Instagram. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel. Doesn't cost you anything. Not a nickel, not a dime, as he always says on YouTube. Does fantastic work with both the Pistons and with drafts. So, Piston Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Thank you, Steve. It's always a pleasure talking to you about basketball, you know. You know, you you the Batman, I'm the Robin, man. I'm trying to be more like you. So, um, no way, man. I, I'm the Batman. You're the Superman. The amount of stuff you're able to put out is impressive. Like almost every day, I see you put up a video, and I'm like, man, this is like people talk about the grind, but not everybody actually does it right. So, like you put it out every day, and every time there's a piston, something coming up, like I know you have a video, and I can go check it out. So, yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you. Much respect for you always. So today we're here to talk about the guards in this NBA draft class. <clears throat> With uh, Steve Henson, two episodes ago, we talked about Brandon Miller and the case kind of for against him, debating him. With Sean Murphy this last time, we mulled over the Pistons, stuck in the lottery again, getting a high draft position, kind of what to think about. Today we're talking about the guard position. Uh, we're going to talk about the Pistons stuff at the end, but if you look around NBA draft communities as well, too, there are a couple guards in this draft class that everybody says are talented, but nobody really wants to rank them up high. And we're talking about Nick Smith Jr. out of Arkansas, Keontae George out of Baylor, and Kaysen Wallace out of Kentucky. A lot of people will praise these different players, but nobody's really saying they should go top five. Some people aren't even putting them in the top ten, but we're here to debate that today. So, Piston Mike. You're going to take the side of against really putting these guys, especially in the top 10, maybe one or two of them. I mean, especially you're, you're taking the case of not putting them in the top five, excuse me, and maybe one or two of them not in the top 10. So um, Nick Smith Jr., Kaysen Wallace, and Keontae George, let's start with y'all. Where do you have each of these guys ranked? I have Nick Smith about 12 on my board. I, I like him. I think he's going to be a fine player, but to me, he likes burst and inside of the arc. I have really questions about it. And to me, personally, his teammate, Anthony Black, has looked a lot better. Um, I think he would be a fine player, but I just don't rank him that highly of a player. Um, and I think a lot of um, teams at the top already have guards. We, we just got done talking about Orlando has a bunch of guards. Um, the Houston Rockets have a bunch of guards. And um, we have a bunch of guards. The only team at the top that doesn't really have a bunch of guards at the lottery is um, the Spurs. And the Spurs, you know, I think they would rather have Scoot or Victor Wimbayama. So I, I just don't really see where um, Smith fits. All right, so you got Smith at 12. What about Kaysen Wallace? I, I would say 10. I like Kaysen Wallace a lot more because he brings a defensive side of the ball. Um, he, he's one of them swift Army Knight players. He does a lot of things well. You know, he, he, he can shoot the ball a little bit. He can get inside the plane. He got a floater. He can play his defense. He reminds me of Drew Holiday. I like that a lot. I think a lot of teams like that. But, again, 
It's just so many teams at the top that really don't know where he really fits at. So, And then finally, Keontae George out of Baylor. I, I like Keontae George a lot because um, he reminds me a lot of Eric Gordon, and it's kind of scary. Uh, even though he's been inefficient, he has um, – I think he is playing with a kind of a three-guard line at Baylor, so you might be able to get away with it on some teams, but most teams I don't think a three-guard lineup will work. I know he's a bulky guy, but um, I like Keontae George, but I just don't see the teams at the top really taking a swing on him. Yeah, where do you have Keontae ranked? Um, eighth on my board, eighth. Yeah, so those are kind of the thoughts of, of why these guards are a little bit further down, lower than guys like Cam Whitmore, Brendan Miller, um, maybe even somebody like Dariq Whitehead, who people, there are still people who have supporters for him out there, even though he hasn't played well, just missed a game due to illness. For me, I, I definitely have these guys all ranked in the lottery. With the lowest one I have ranked is Cason Wallace at 11. Mm-hmm. And then I have Keontae at seven and Nick Smith at six. But I think they all have top five potential. Nick Smith's probably the one that more people will argue for being in contention for even the pick, the third pick. And it's easy to see why. He has a skill set that translates to the NBA as even like a secondary creator that could blossom into a primary Floater game is advanced. Like, he can get that floater off anywhere and everywhere, or he comes in the NBA ready-made to do that. Shades of somebody like Emmanuel Quickly or Tyrese Maxey, a little bit taller, six foot five, 185 with that. The handle is good. Looks like somebody who grew up on the playground in terms of his basketball game, right? Not somebody that was, you know, dancing around cones or just sitting in an empty gym, putting up shots. That way, and the jump shot looks clean. He gets it off in a variety of situations, especially in the mid-range, seems to be really good there. Uh, Good passer as well. Not a point guard, but somebody who always has his head on a swivel and will get easy shots for his teammate. I think he's the one in defense. Defensively, he's one of the best prospects in this draft, in my opinion. He has this just desire to want to be great on defense than this desire to want to snuff out the opposition. I've made the the joke before that he will guard the opposition as soon as they get off the plane or the bus. Like you just saw so much in high school where he was running full court press on guys when that's not even called for. He just wanted to do that to, to apply pressure. And we've seen some of that at Arkansas so far as he's come back on the court. Um, it's just hard for me to like downgrade somebody that has all of these Skills, passing, shot creation ability, shooting, defensive desire and tenacity to like keep them out of the top five. I think he's the easiest one for me to say, yeah, I understand the case of of like size, especially in being at like size. And if they're not a point guard at six foot five, you're saying, oh, they're mainly a shooting guard. Point, this is positionless basketball, right? If Nick Smith continues to show that he can guard point guards and shooting guards, and if his wingspan shows that he maybe he can guard up a little bit, then, yeah, top five without question. I think he does have a little bit of Shea Gilgis-Alexander versatility. SGA is a little bit taller, like an inch taller, but just with all the different things that, that um, Nick Smith is able to do and the desire there, like I'm sure if NBA teams are like, hey, do you want to play the three, his answer is going to be yes. 
And if you ask him, can you guard the three, his answer is going to be yes. Whether or not that will hold up and whether or not he's strong enough to do that, we shall see. But I think the ability to do it is there. It's just the physicality might not be there yet. Mm. So I think he should still be, even in the contention for number three overall overall pick, just because of all those skills. It's just not very often you see somebody able to do all those things while also being a primary scorer. I mean, he put up like over 20 points in high school. And ever since he's come back on the court, you see the difference he makes for Arkansas, who's already good. And now they're just great with him in there. Case and Wallace, I think, is the hardest one to make the case for, right? In terms of being in the top five or, or top ten, what was the the thing you said? Like, you don't really know like his skill set or where to fit him in. What what, what exactly did you no, say? I said it's hard to really um to really find where he fits because he's kind of he's kind of does a little bit of everything, but nothing really stands out. Like even one of them guys, nothing really stands out. Yeah, defensively is where he makes his money too, right? Everybody, everybody, everybody that's ever put eyes on him says this is one of the best defenders you can find at the guard position. And so many of us who have looked at him say this is Drew Holiday 2.0. And that's like kind of a blessing and a curse, right? Drew Holiday is good, but when he was the number two on the Pelicans, a lot of people were like, yeah, I don't know if this is ever a championship guard, like – uh, I don't know if he's really that great. Look at how good these teams are. And then he goes to to Milwaukee, and all of a sudden, no, oh, yeah, he's fantastic with the defense. He's able to to pull um, and do, and he's number three there. So again, if this is somebody you're arguing for, Drew Holiday 2.0, then you're saying they're like a really, really good number three. Mm-hmm. I not I don't want to say serviceable number two because I think that's a disservice to Drew Holiday and his abilities, but. Somebody that, like, the media will just kind of downgrade, right, for saying, like, they're not good enough to be a number two. Again, the the label of is a blessing and a curse, which is why I think a lot of times you and I especially try not to do the comps until you've seen, like, whole seasons worth of film. Mm-hmm. Um, but with somebody like Casey Wallace, it's just easy to turn it on and see. They both have similar body types, six foot four, 195. I think the big thing with Casey Wallace, though, is – Drew Holiday can guard up to the three. Like, we've seen him guard Kevin Durant in the playoffs, right? I don't know that Casey Wallace can do that, and that's a big selling point for Drew Holiday and why he's such a great player and why the Bucks need him in order to keep winning games and winning titles. If Casey Wallace can do that, then I think it bumps him up. But is this a primary creator? Again, we, we haven't really seen it, and it's hard. It's so hard with Kentucky guys, right? Because, like, Devin Booker, Bam Adebayo, there, there's just so many examples where they were in the role to where you, they just weren't asked to create, and they didn't have the opportunity to do that. It wasn't that they didn't have the ability to do it. It's just Kentucky puts you in a role. As I said in the Kentucky Clamps episode um, about a month or two ago, I, I trust in that process, but – it's been so like all over the place, even for somebody like Tyrese Maxey, who I thought should have been in the top 10. I don't know that I would have said top five. And if you're trying to say like, no, this guy's going to be like the next, next Devin Booker or Bam Adebayo, then you're a bolder person than I am, right? It's just hard to really make that case for somebody under six foot five and with, I don't want to say limited shot creation ability, but somebody who hasn't shown that they can do that and lead a team the way that even Devin Booker could off the bench. I mean, there were other indicators there. So I think he's the hardest one. 
And then the last one, Keontae George. I'm very high on Keontae George. I think people are kind of underselling how great he is. Um, I just saw a tweet. I, I, it was from, man, I forget who it was from. I'll have to try and link it in the episode after this. But they're saying Keontae George really does need to be in the conversation at pick number four. I think he still needs to be in the conversation at pick number three. I understand why not, because six foot four, 185 at that size in today's NBA, you're like, well, are you a great defender? Are you going to be like a multi-time all-star? Do I believe you have that potential? And I would say, yeah, absolutely. And you alluded to it. Keontae George is playing in three-guard lineups with Dale Bonner. I mean, with uh, LJ Cryer, Adam Flagler, and then himself. So he's being the small forward in that lineup. Baylor also plays four-guard lineups with Dale Bonner. So guess what? Keontae George has to be the power forward in that regard. So he's in a situation where he's not exactly playing his position, and he's playing well. Yeah, he's a volume scorer. You're going to look at those percentages. I think it's under still 33% from three right now, but he's putting up a ton of threes. I believe he's still their leading scorer. If he's not, he's second leading scorer. And as a freshman on a team that is expectations is we're going to win an NCAA title, like, I can't think of the last freshman that came in and really kind of took the reins of the offense the way that he has. People questioned his playmaking ability. Guess what? He's the second leading playmaker on that team behind Flagler. And then he's the primary spacer, shooting threes from everywhere. He plays on and off ball. And he's shown great point of attack defense when he's been asked to play guard. So that's something that's just consistently flashed. And these are three things you want out of your guards in today's NBA, right? Volume scoring, versatility, and then the toughness to play the four, and the playmaking. They are all there. And if you put him at his actual position of like shooting guard, point guard, to guard that position, I think it's just going to be even better. The shades, I see shades of Gilbert Arenas only actually being able to play defense with Keontae George just because of how much he's able to put up and the jump shot he can get off anywhere and everywhere the way Arenas did. Also play mix like Arenas did. It's like he's looking for a shot first, but he knows how to use that to, to set up and get guys open. Uh, Golden State Warriors, Tim Hardaway. I don't know if anybody's as old as me here to remember that. Uh, player, but somebody who was a point guard, but a scoring point guard, really ahead of his time with that run TMC team to be able to get off a jump shot again anywhere. Had a great handle, had great vision. Didn't play much defense back then, so I think Keontae does have that on him. And the other guy that Keontae George reminds me a lot of is Jamal Murray, almost the same size. I believe Murray's like 6'4", 200-ish, so there's a little bit of, of difference. But I always say Keontae George like is the thickest 185 I've ever seen in my life. I, every time I see him, I think he's like the same size as like a Jamal Murray. He looks, you know, buff, right? So he's definitely getting in the gym there. And again, all these guys profile as primary, secondary guys that you want on your team. And Keontae is just showing the same kind of profile that each of these guys have. So he's the one that I don't know why isn't getting more love. Maybe it's just because of the lack of athleticism and that what Baylor's asking him to do isn't quite always featuring him in his best role, but he still finds a way to succeed, right? Yeah, he does. Um, I, I I like Keontae George a lot. I would agree on you. Agree on you. This I think he he's probably my favorite out of all three of them. Um, I think he I think he's got a potential to be um, 
definitely um, an all-star uh, at the bare minimum. He might even be a superstar. I wouldn't be su- surprised. Yeah, I agree. Out of the three, even though I like Nick Smith a lot, and he might get like the bump a little bit mm-hmm. more over Keontae George, just the the skill and his continual improvement, especially in playmaking and defense. Every time you, you turn on the Baylor tape, it's just you don't see it that often in a player that young, right? And he just stepped in from day one. If you anybody watched the World Jam over the summer, where he led Baylor against all these veteran teams that had adults from other professional leagues in the world. Um, playing in these national teams, he was the guy for the Baylor squad. So it, to me, this just seems like in the profile, something that doesn't get talked about enough. You just don't see many young guys come in like this and be a leader and not be demonstrative about it at all. And he now that he's in Baylor's system playing in the season, he hasn't demanded the ball or been that guy that's like, no, I'm going to take over. Yeah, um, he, he's played a role that, Shockingly, um, that most freshman guards wouldn't be okay with and probably wouldn't be comfortable. They probably their numbers probably look a lot worse and a lot more crazier. And he's kind of doing well, you know. He adjusted to his role, and that's all about basketball. If you can adapt and adjust, and for him doing that, I think it's gonna um put him in a better place and a better situation to to become that all star and that superstar. I really do. All right, so let's let's test that belief then. We're both Piston guys, both Piston fans, do a lot of stuff um, in the Piston community. Say the Pistons land a top five pick. Mm. Would you want any three of these guys with that top five pick? Um, Any three? Yeah, I, I would take Keontae George. No way. Um, but would you feel like safely putting him above, say, like a Cam Whitmore or Brandon Miller? No, or- but- uh, one of the Thompson twins. Oh, nah, nah, probably not. Just because, um, me, I'm a big Cam Whitmore guy. I like Cam Whitmore. Um, I think he's my favorite prospect. I love the way he plays. I know he can't really shoot that well. His jumper looks good enough to me. I think he's going to be a capable three point shooter. I don't never think he's going to be somebody who's shooting. 36, 37%, not even 35. I think he's going to be 33, 34 over his career. But I think he's somebody who gets to the rim. He helps the weak side on the defense. I think as time goes on, after coming back from the injury, we're going to see more of him sliding over and being the rim side defender. I think the Detroit Pistons need that a lot. And he's a phenomenal athlete. And it kind of... um. Thumb injury, I don't think it's going to be too really crazy or that serious. I do like Brandon Miller a lot, but I do not like Brandon Miller over Cam Whitmore. It's because the inside shooting is scaring me. But I do, I will say this. If the Pistons were to pick Brandon Miller over Cam Whitmore, I will understand it because the way his ability to shoot the ball is second to none. And at that size, it's kind of crazy. You, he could be six foot eleven in the next two or three years, and him for be able to move like that and handle the ball like that and shoot like that. I, I mean, I can't really take nothing against that. So, yeah, yeah, and this gets back to what we talked about with Steve Henson in the Brandon Miller episode mm-hmm. of opportunity cost. I think that's kind of what you're getting at too, mm-hmm. right? Is it's hard to see this anomalous guy in Brandon Miller. Mm-hmm. 
or even Cam Whitmore with his athleticism mm-hmm. and then say, no, I'm going to take a guard over these guys that not only fill a position of need, fill a skill need of athletic wing mm-hmm. or athletic forward. Um, maybe not Brandon Miller with the athletic wing because mm-hmm. uh, his athleticism is kind of right, but definitely shooting, um, shooting potential long-term and say, no, I'm going to take another guard uh, after taking Killian, Kate, Ivy. It would just be hard to put that in there, even if their talent warrants it. And then what about for the other teams in the lottery, say, we'll throw San Antonio out just for now because they're the only one, like you alluded to, have a clear need at guard and are really just rocking with the guys they have now because they really want Scoot or Vic, and then they'll figure out the point guard later. But like in OKC, Houston, Charlotte, Orlando, they all have guards there, but – would they also consider that? And is that maybe part of what is helping or hurting however you want to look at it, draft people, draft community of saying, I don't know that I really want to stick my neck out for a case of Wallace. I don't know that I really want to put Keontae George at number five to the Hornets, or I don't know that I really want to give Nick Smith Jr. to Orlando at number three. Do you think that's part of it? Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. I think it's definitely hurting their um, prospects because – a lot of them have really good, um, really okay or serviceable guards, but I don't know if they really have guards that are really better than that I think Keontae George can be or Nick Smith is going to be. You could probably argue probably better. Some of them probably might have a better career than Case of Wallace, but Nick Smith might have a better. Um, he might be better than... Um, Cole Anthony. He might have a better career than Cole Anthony, RJ Hampton, and um Denless Suggs. He might. Um the same with Keontae George, but I don't think they're gonna take him because they just got too many guards and they might, you know, they rather take a wing or a forward. So Yeah, that's the other path of it I was gonna ask you is who's the best wing on the teams I just mentioned, right? Charlotte, Detroit, mm-hmm. Orlando. OKC, Houston, who's the best wing out of there? Is that And does that factor into why so many people are pushing up the wings or pushing up the forwards and putting down these guards? The best wing for, um, if I could think for Orlando Magic, it might be Franz Wagner, if I think so. If I'm saying his name correctly, that's got to be the best yeah. wing for him, for them. Um for Charlotte Hornets, I don't think they really got a wing. They maybe can you say Kelly Oubre or PJ Washington? I think that's the only two that they got. Now, I don't know if they consider wings. Um, well, Oubre definitely is, mm-hmm. but Washington's more like a power forward center. Mm-hmm. But it seems like most people kind of sour on Kelly Oubre. This is like the most one of the most bizarre things I've seen, where he's having a career year. But everybody is just like kind of <laughs> shaking their head because of how bad they are on defense and Kelly Oubre being a big, big part of it, which, again, I think is is part of this conversation of, of trying to draft a wing over somebody like Nick Smith, Kaysom Wallace, mm-hmm. um, Keontae George is, yeah, Oubre can score the ball. But what else does he bring to the table? Yeah, and Detroit, our best wing right now is a 33-year-old man, the Croatian success in himself, Boyan Bogdanovic. That's our best wing right now. Sadiq Bay and slide to the bench. So 
on, on all three of them teams, you can't really pick out a wing that you know who could do everything, play defense, shoot the basketball, and that's became became the um most um position that everybody wants. Um, they're talking about the Toronto Raptors that every team wants OG Ananobi, and he gonna get a similar price tag to what Donovan Mitchell costed. So that's crazy. Yeah, if that's true, then that probably just answers our question right there, right? Because Donovan Mitchell's been a multi-time All-Star, led a team that was tops in the NBA in terms of wins and losses, um, been at the top in terms of wins and losses for multiple years, been the guy since he's been in the league. And then if you're saying that a role player, and I love OG Ananobi for the record, I wanted the Pistons to draft OG Ananobi over Donovan Mitchell and over Luke Kennard. Um, in that draft, just because I was such a big fan of him coming out of Indiana. I always thought he would be this player, this like multi-position defender, um, but in the shooting ability as well as the explosive uh, verticality. But he's not really a primary creator, right? This is the first year where he's shown he can do some of that. Every single other year, he's been a very, very good role player. I like to call them role player supreme, a.k.a. the Tayshaun, like Tayshaun Prince. You know, everything you need, he will fill. And it's not just that he's quote-unquote, filling in the cracks, but he's the mortar to build the brick wall. If you don't have him, the rest of the bricks fall down because he makes everything else work and work to perfection and hold up. So OG Ananobi's been that, but if he's cost to get him is the same as a multi-time all-star, number one offensive option who can lead a 50, 45 to 50-plus win team every single year, then, yeah, the NBA is basically just saying that we don't value undersized guards anymore, right? Mm -hmm. That has to be the answer. Yeah, um, which is which is crazy to me because, like you said, like OG Ananobi, he's a role play. He he hasn't even made an all-star game. you telling me I'm supposed to give up three picks for him just because he's a wing and a, 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 def a defensive, you know, juggernaut or – wing defender he's really good at that but he can't create none for himself so like you tell me yeah not only just three picks they gave up this year's draft pick in Ochai Baji they gave up Laurie Markkinen who was oh who was good too mm -hmm. for the Cavs and helped them turn it around and who's killing it right now in Utah I just murdered the Pistons <laughs> the other night so I don't have my Arizona stuff on but bear down uh, oh, Laurie's my guy you know one of my guys so yeah, if you're saying you have to give up two fantastic young prospects, three draft picks for a role player, just because wing defense and that forward defense of versatility, efficiency is valued as much as an undersized guard who can be a primary offensive option for a team, then that probably is, is our answer here. Um, maybe that's just reporting to, maybe that's just Masai Ujiri um, being the – the G that he is and, and getting the best value and trying to do, pressure teams into giving him more than they actually want to. But the fact that it's out there, yeah, it seems to indicate maybe this is why Keontae George and Kaysen Wallace and Nick Smith Jr. are getting downgraded, even though their talents are clear and why Brandon Miller gets the bump despite having the, the hiccups and the wrinkles in his game that a lot of people are concerned about. And even somebody like an Amen Thompson who, Nobody knows if he can shoot. Mm. Everybody's questioning his touch, right? But they see, you know, this, this is a tall point guard with athleticism. I believe on the last Game Theory podcast, 
they called him a walking paint touch, right? Mm. Like he's just always going to get in the paint and cause havoc. And that's probably why this is the way it is. Teams maybe don't buy into undersized guards being as valuable as even a really high role player anymore. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's insane. It's crazy. We, I, I remember the point guard used to be, um, the guy you wanted, the guy you wanted to draft, he used to be a Garsley, and now it's a wing league. And it's crazy to have wing-sized players playing the point guard. Now, nah, man, it's really changed. The game has changed a lot, and position in basketball is really taking over. It's going to be real interesting in the next two, three, four years to see what draft prospects we have. You, Man, this is going to be insane. This is going to be insane, man. Um, but hmm? yeah, absolutely. So thanks again for Piston Mike for coming on here and chopping it up about guards. We'll dive deep into each of these guys in the future. As I've said before, I really like all three of them, but where exactly they're going to land by the end of the year, we shall see. I'll still continue to keep them in the race for number three. I think some of them, like the case in Wallace, the, the case would be a lot harder. Um, for a lot of the reasons we laid out, but the talent is still there. We shouldn't be underrating these guards, even if our teams like Hornets, like the Magic, like the OKC Thunder, like the Houston Rockets, like our Detroit Pistons really need that forward, that athletic wing. Maybe that comes up in free agency. Maybe that comes up through a trade. Somebody's going to be unhappy sometime soon, right? And it happens every single year. So we shall see one thing, there was a few things I wanted to ask you before we get yeah, yeah. out of here, man. Um, so, what pistons do you think will likely be traded if they are traded, and what packages do you think they can get? I think the veterans should be on the table first. Um, I'll just say this really quick because I could do a whole podcast just on this. What's Sadiq Bay anymore? Is he a, a power forward? Is he a small forward? Is he a shooting specialist? Is he a bench scorer? Is he an on-ball player? Is he an off-ball player? I like Bojan. He's done fantastic. Burks has been great. But if anything, they've hurt that particular player's development, right? Um, and Bojan's, how long is he going to be this good? He's not here long-term, right? Like, you can't really invest in him over the next two to three years. And while Sadiq's coming up on a rookie extension and just kind of burying him down the depth chart, same with Alec Burks. Alec Burks has been great. He's helped out the bench a lot, but this team still sucks, right? This team's record is going to be the same with or without Bojan and with or without Alec Burks. That's my thought on that. And also that they are hurting the development of Sadiq in particular in giving touches away there or giving like the clear role that you want him to go down. And maybe this does end up hurting in the negotiations of like this guy's asked, you know, done everything that you've asked of him. And he just seems to be getting less and less of a role. I mean, even in the last game, we saw Kojo take the ball more and, you know, do more things on the bench than Sadiq did. They kind of all of a sudden were like, Oh snap, we got to get Sadiq some touches in the fourth quarter in that Utah game. And then he got hot, but it was just too late. Right. Um, so I think the veterans have to go for the long-term potential. And also I think they both have uh, Burks and Boyan in particular have the most value, right? 
If you were wanted to trade Sadiq, you're doing a terrible job of trying to sell him right now, right? His value has sunk. Um, and there would have to be a team that was already absolutely in love with him to give up a lot right now for somebody who's shooting under, under 31% from three. Um, so, yeah, and then Boyan and Burks clearly have a skill set that you can come in and help. Help out a team like a Golden State who's struggling, like a Toronto Raptors who need more of a scoring punch. Um, and more primary offensive option guys, they can bring back something. Like the Warriors, I would really target somebody like a Moses Moody who has clear skill, but they're just kind of buried down the depth chart because they're a young guy on a veteran team that doesn't have a spot for him quite yet. First-round picks, yeah, I would like an extra first-round pick this year. The Laker one's been thrown out there, but they just don't have a package with picks. But they do have a player I would really love to snatch away from them, and that's Lonnie Walker, who's played very well. And ever since leaving San Antonio, where they kind of had him play the guard spots, and now in L.A., they've just had him play the wing. He's just been a small four. He's just been a shooting guard. The shooting numbers have been great. He's always been a great athlete. He's emerging as a solid defender. That's the guy that the Pistons need, right, on the wing. Six foot five, you would want him to be taller, but he just hasn't shown that he can't do wing things because he's been doing them there. On the Lakers, and him and Austin Reeves aren't getting enough credit, in my opinion. The reason why Anthony Davis was able to go off on that tangent is because those two guys gave him consistent spacing. Pat Beverly's done jack since getting there, right? It's been Reeves and Walker that really have stepped up and been the primary floor spacers. LeBron's putting up like seven threes a game or something like that, and he's you know he's LeBron. He's going to do everything that he can to help out his guys. Um Reeves and, and Walker. So if they could do like that, like a Moses Moody, Lonnie Walker, in addition to getting maybe like a future pick or something like that, I, I would be cool with it. The one I would really entertain if they like had a veteran that was thrown out there would be one of the Raptor guys. And there's a couple, I mean, OG is the one that's been thrown out there, but if that's the case of like, <laughs> we need all these picks, not going to do it, man. Um, but if they did say like Gary Trent Jr., Another shooter. The Pistons need that kind of shooter. That guy can replace Boyan mm. immediately and is younger and, you know, plays the small forward position. So it gives more time to the, the double beef lineup, too, of Stu and, and Duran, and it doesn't really hurt you as much as Boyan at the three on defense. And then Pascal Siakam, that one would – I would entertain it personally, but that one would be more difficult, mm. right, because then you probably have to push um, Stu and Duran – one of them back to the bench, that might not be the best case to do. Siakam played the small forward in the past. I don't know if he can still do it or or would want to do it. But triple beef, man, if, if there was any way, like, you could get somebody that is big and can play the small forward, like some people have been saying with Victor Weminyama, and if they could do that, if they got uh, Victor Weminyama with the first pick and put all three of those guys out there, Stu Duran and, and Wembanyama. Triple beef, like that would be monstrous and be a, a big time game changer and people wouldn't want to play the Detroit Pistons. So those are the ones that, that come to mind. I'm sure I could think about it a lot more, but my answer is going to be the veterans because not only do they have the best value right now, I think also for the long-term development of the team, one or two of them has got to go. Nerlens, Nerlens as well, like I, it's no surprise. If he, if he were still here, by the end of January, and if he were still here by the trade deadline, I would be very surprised. Like they'd have to find a deal for him. Yeah, I would agree. I like um, if I was the Pistons, I'm trying to um, 
I'm I try to pry at maybe maybe I try to pry at Jonathan Kaminga too maybe he's the one that I'm like I don't see them they they've talked so much about him right mm-hmm. that it would be hard I think for them to just all of a sudden be like yeah maybe they are really in panic mode and they're like we don't have time for this anymore but I don't know that's the, the, I, me too I would I would love for them to try that but I, I just I don't think that would be able to happen yeah probably not but yeah Moses Moody I agree I like Gary Trent Jr I said the Pistons should definitely trade they come available. They've been rumors of – I think there's going to be a lot more trades at the trade deadline, too, this year. I think there's – people are going to go bananas. I'm hearing nothing's really going to happen, but January 15th, I guess, that's when almost all of the league becomes trade eligible. I don't know if it's necessarily all or even more. I don't know how many, but it is going to be a very interesting deadline. And we definitely see – I think Boyan ends up getting traded so – probably Alice Burks. I think Hamadou and probably Noel. If I had to put money on it, maybe Magruder, maybe the vets, like you said, probably more likely to get traded. But one more question before we um end it. Right now Oh hang on the one the one sorry oh. to cut you off there. The Grizzlies have been one that I've heard recently, especially Sam Vicini and James Edwards the third. I don't know if you listen mm-hmm. to their podcast on the Pistons specifically the Kate injury, uh, Killian's resurgence. Definitely go check that out if you have it. It's on YouTube and it's on anywhere you can get your podcast, Spotify, Google. But Sam Vecini was like, Memphis seems to be a good landing spot for Bullion if they really just wanted to go for it this year. And his proposal was something like uh, John Conkar and uh, was his name? Um, what, is the, what is his name? Why am I blanking on his name all of a sudden? Brandon Clark. Like it would be something around there. Mm. Um, I also wondered if Dylan Brooks might be in play for that. I'm not the biggest Dylan Brooks fan because I think he's kind of a – not kind of – he's a chucker and gets in love with just trying to put up buckets. But what he is is 6'7", 220, great wing defender. They might need him for the playoffs. They might see that. But he is also in a contract year. But he does fill a need for the Pistons. I would worry that he would just kind of – if he came in and they're like, hey, take over the Bojan role – <laughs> it might be catastrophic, but it might help the tank. But again, if this is somebody you want as your just defender three and D guy, I-, I could see it. And with the options coming up, especially in free agency, like what to do. But the Brandon Clark, Concar one, Vicini was like, it seems like Marvin Bagley and, and Clark kind of overlap in terms of what you want them to do. And Clark's more, way more of a defender. I would want him personally over Marvin Bagley long term, so that might be a reason to do it as well. But what are your thoughts on the Grizzlies as a trade partner? Because I think they have interesting pieces. I just don't, I don't know about if that's the right fit. Yeah, they have interesting pieces, like you said, but I don't think it was is going to be the right fit. They might have to get a third team involved. If that were to happen, we get somebody else. I don't know who it would be for, but definitely interesting. I, I do like Brandon Clark. I always like Brandon Clark um, in his Same. production, but I, I just don't think that worked out. But if you, if the draft was tomorrow, who do you think the Pistons would pick and why? 
Man, you're putting me on the spot. I think it's down to three guys. Well, let me think about this. I'm four guy. Okay, four guys in contention. The one everybody wants, if it was number three, is Amen Thompson, right? Mm. I think his brother Asar would be in that conversation too with his ability to shoot. He's been shooting the ball a lot better while being a, a primary scorer. The other ones are Cam Whitmore. I think Cam Whitmore is very much still in play for that because of all the reasons that you laid out, athletic, explosive. The jump shot looks fine. He is showing that he could be a primary creator so far. The difference, if anybody watched Villanova before he started playing versus after, the difference is day and night. The way defenses play them now is like, we got to send extra help this way. We have to pay attention to him. And it's just opened up the court for everybody else. That kind of impact you don't see in very many prospects. And then the other guy is Brandon Miller. I think Brandon Miller is going to be in play unless his two-point percentage just continues to tank. SEC play will really be the determining factor, I think, for Brandon Miller in the top 10 or not. If he struggles, because at SEC, everybody says it. They have the best pure athletes of any of the leagues around just in the guys that they're able to recruit. If he struggles in that league, that's going to be a big red flag that I think so many people just can't look past and we'll see. Yeah, we buy in the shooting. This is a shooting specialist. But beyond that, like, what would be the difference between somebody like Taylor Hendricks out of UCF, whose points per game and everything is pretty similar to Brandon Clark and has shown more defensive ability as like a weak side rim protector, in my opinion. Oh, and he's also younger than Brandon Miller. I hate grading for age. I think grading for age or, or evaluating for age is dumb because it makes you miss on guys like Damian Lillard, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. Like, look around the league. Almost half the superstars were older prospects, right? Um, but teams still do it. Teams still do it. And every draft cycle we, that comes up with somebody, you're like, oh, he's 20 years old. How good can you really be? It came up with Keegan Murray last year, and, and people had to, to kind of defend it. Um, so th- that would be a if if I had to guess who the number three would be, I mean, Troy Weaver's proven again and again he's just going to take who he thinks is the number three guy, and that's probably Amen. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be my pick. And if you go listen to Rafael Barlow's mock draft, mm-hmm. I think it was a week and a half ago, he had the Pistons picking third, and he did take Amen Thompson as well. But the fit, I hate to talk about fit, especially for a team that needs talent as much as the Pistons do, but – Ivy needs the ball to be at his best. Cade should have the ball. He is the maestro. He makes everything work. He scores. He knows how to get everybody open. Amen needs the ball. He cannot shoot. He can't right now. And outside of the paint and driving to the rim, I don't know what else he does. Like, I don't. So the talent is there. Maybe he can be a force of nature. As I said in the second episode, you don't have to shoot well to be a, an impactful NBA player. DeJounte Murray, Pascal Siakam, and Jalen Brown, they all had terrible shooting numbers coming out of their last season before becoming draft eligible and entering the draft. Maybe Amen becomes one of those. So if it were right now, I think the team just couldn't pass up that roll of the dice of somebody who has this athleticism. Primary on-ball creation, but they're just going to have to figure out how to make Ivy Cade and Amen work, and maybe Ivy's probably the one that gets traded in that scenario long term if, if it doesn't work out with the spacing or moves to the bench or something else. But Amen probably would be number three right now if the draft happened. 
Yeah, I, I definitely will agree with you. I think all of them guys will be in play. It'd be interesting. If I was to piss the GM, you already know who I'm going for. I'm going for my guy, Cam. I call him Killer Cam. And the funniest thing to me is I wouldn't be all that shot because I pay attention to Troy Weaver. And Troy Weaver ain't really that slick. Let me tell you why. Um, Jalen Durant, um, his hometown, I think, is only two hours away from Washington, D.C., um, Luca Garza was from D.C. Jeremy Grant was from D.C. Um, Cam Whitmore is only an hour away from D.C. And he was Maryland basketball player of the year. That's all I'm saying. So <laughs> That's a good connection. And Cam's not a bad a bad choice. I think even now, even if the draft happened now and people look at the numbers like blah, whatever. But his impact is felt on both sides of the court. I think he's more of a power forward. Then a small forward, but that could turn around um, easily, and he could get better in those other. It's not that he doesn't have the athleticism to play small forward, but his game is more bully ball, right, uh-huh. um, which Piston fans would embrace. And if we talk about triple beef, Cam is a great, you know, triple, the third beef patty in that triple beef uh, burger there. Uh-huh. Well, I enjoyed it, man. I have fun as always. We gonna, Hopefully we can do this soon. We got a lot more prospects to talk about. Um, great having you. By the way, I do like Taylor Hendricks. I think he's one of the most underrated prospects. People, I've been getting flacked about liking Chris Murray, but I think he's underrated too. But hey, no, I'm the I'm the same way. Like he's definitely a first round pick, as I stated at the uh, you know all almost all freshman first round. He was the one upperclassman that I was like, yeah, there's no way that you can look at this guy and not think late teens to the 20s because he just works, right? This is like the Marcus Morris type of player where you just see everything efficient, defender, maybe not the on-ball creator you like, but it's hard to find people that size that have all those skills that will fill the supplementary roles you need on offense to be a fourth or fifth starter. Yeah. But but again, thank you to Piston Mike. Uh, plug anything you got coming up, any new videos, Anything on Instagram? What's going on with you? None much, man. I'm just going to be doing, hopefully, a whole bunch of draft videos. Maybe I'll start doing some like, donkey of the game for the Pistons, the the player who ruined it all for the Pistons and the reason why we lost, even though we're a bad team, something like that, something more interesting. Um, I, I'm thinking about getting this app back. I think it's called Femur grow or whatever so i can break down the games and show y'all for this and break down film with you guys but besides that that's all about that's all about it nothing special try to get some more merchandise for y'all soon and man just keep on working i'm trying to get that six-figure deal so come on man valley sports come talk to me somebody come talk to me we trying to get them deals man let them know steve we trying to become a scout or something man they playing with <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And tell them where they can find all your merch, man. The t-shirts, the hoodies, the hoodies are fire. You you can find this at Teespring. Um, I think it's called Ninja Shadow or something like that. Teespring Ninja Shadow. And the other one I think is called Bank Eero. Um, send me the links. I'll put it in the, the episode description. Yeah, I got so Send me the link. I'll send- Go look, look in the description. The, the links will be there yeah. for all the merch, man. Go check it out. Thank you. Buy all of it. Thank you, man. I appreciate it, man. Always a pleasure to see you. Until next time. Bye.
stay blessed and stay positive. Have a great day, everybody, including you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly what he said. We'll see you next time. Hagone. Peace. You too.